I call this a privilege that I have had the opportunity to bury a lot of great men and a lot of great women. I think uh, as far as funerals go, we have seen our fair share in our church, have we not? Is there anyone here that has never been to a funeral before? Maybe some of our kids, but most everybody has been to a funeral. I can remember my first funeral was my grandmother Strickland, and I can remember that I was too young to really fully understand it, but my cousin and I somehow were able to get into trouble in the funeral home. Uh, We found where the casket showroom was. We didn't know there weren't anybody in there. And so uh, we, we got our little red wagon straightened out very fast. But death is part of a process, and as Tammy alluded to earlier, on Wednesday nights we've been going through the story of Moses, and when we, we came to this passage last week, it was almost but a footnote. As the Israelites are about ready to get into the promised land, we see in Joshua it says, Then Moses died. And I thought, wow, to see a man that had been through all of that, to just say that he has died and they moved on, I thought, there's got to be more to this. Because when I think about that, uh, as we'll see in just a moment, Moses led the people to the promised land, but he was not allowed to go in. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, if I see a nice juicy hamburger in front of me and someone says, you can't have it, that, that is wrong, you know, because I, I love hamburgers, you know what I'm saying? But uh, who doesn't, right, except someone that doesn't like meat. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that it would be very easy, as I said a moment ago, I've had the opportunity to bury a lot of people. And <laughs> there are some people that it is, it is a no-brainer because they lived a life that, you, you know you can't preach anyone into heaven, right? Or you can't preach anyone out of hell. Once we take our last breath, the sermon's over. And there have been many funerals that I have done to where it was very easy just to talk about how that person lived a godly life, and it was a time of grieving, but yet also a time of celebration. And yet there have been others in in days long ago to where, especially when I was first getting into the ministry and, and I was low on the totem pole of the church I was at, I would get the funerals for the people that really didn't come to the church a whole lot. And there were some people that, that quite honestly breaks my heart. I could have preached till the cows come home and there was been no hope for them having eternal life with Jesus Christ. But when I think about the funerals and I think about the men and the women that have passed on, I think about there have been some great leaders that have passed on. And, and I'll be honest with you, there are times when I have said, why? Why them? Why now? God, don't you know we've got more plans? We've got other things we need to do. Why now? Some of you in here are thinking about your loved ones or someone in your family or someone in this church and say, yeah, preacher, I know what you mean. Why? Why? But the answer is, is that we will never know why. But I think, in other words, just saying that Moses died and moving on to Joshua is something that uh, I don't want to do that. I want to take a few minutes this morning, if it's okay with you, and talk about the man, and almost like a eulogy for Moses, because there is no other biblical hero like Moses. What sets Moses apart from any other biblical hero in the Bible? He is the only one to have seen God face to face 
and live to tell about it. That's what set him apart. And, and God loved Moses. He loved him so much, though, that he had to punish him. Because Moses, you see, he fulfilled his calling to send the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and get them to the promised land. However, in that process, because of his sin, he was not allowed to enter. So why would God not let Moses enter? Why is that question important to us today? Well, the answer for this and more is coming in just a moment. Because, folks, we have to remember these three words. God is faithful. Amen? Say it. God is faithful. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today. And He will be the same forever. Folks, God is faithful, but He is also unchanging. The God of the Old Testament, the God of creation, is still that loving God that is with us today. We just sang that we are on holy ground. Through the Holy Spirit, God is in this place this morning. Amen? Can we lift Him up? Can we give Him glory? Can we give Him praise and stand in awe of who God is because the same God that created Adam and Eve is walking among us in this place of worship this morning. And it gives me great comfort and assurance to know that God does not change. Much like an adventurer rappelling down a mountain. You, if someone is rappelling down a mountain, you have to, to put all of your weight on that rope. And for me, that would be a big rope, right? But you have to put all your weight on that rope, and you have to lean back, and you have no control. And all you can do is put your faith in the rope, in the knots and the rigging that you have tied to suspend you off of that mountain. That, that total commitment to that rope and to that repelling process. Folks, that is the same commitment that we must have to God. Folks, if you are only half committed to God, you wonder why your life is only half filled with blessings. We are to have total commitment to God. Why is that? Because God showed total commitment to us. Through the Son, Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know about you, but I have grown to do the same thing with God, is, is to, to trust Him. Maybe you have too. You know, those moments when you cannot walk another step because your legs of faith do not have the strength to take one more step. And your vision, you can only see what is right in front of you. Folks, those occasions when you're in a crowd of people but yet you still feel alone? Or those missions when you feel that all you can do is spin your wheels and watch the show? Folks, every Christian in here, whether you be 5, 50, 105, we all have strong days and we all have weak days. But the key to spiritual revival during tough times, what is that? It is an unwavering faith, an obedient heart, in a compassion for others. Well, as I said earlier, during our Wednesday night study, we, we picked up on Moses' life. And when we think about what he did, folks, he, first of all, didn't think that he was qualified. He said, God, you want me to, to lead the, the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt? I can't even talk that well. Through a, through a few negotiations, God sent Aaron to help him. But Moses freed a nation. 
Now, for some of you, it was just impressive that you got on, put on your clothes, and came to church this morning. It might have taken that same amount of faith. It's kind of like when I walk into the gym. There's a big sign up there that says, the hardest battle is getting in here. And sometimes that's with church too, isn't it? The hardest thing is getting those clothes ready. But when you get here, you know that God is going to bless you. But Moses was afraid, but he did some amazing things. Because the Egyptian king at the time when he was born had issued mass genocide of all firstborn Hebrew babies. Because he was afraid that the Hebrews would grow in their population and overthrow Egypt. And from that moment, God was orchestrating his life to fulfill his greatest calling, which was leading God's chosen people out of slavery. So, what God did for Moses. I'm going to give you a list of a few things. These are a few things that God did for Moses. Number one, God invested in Moses. God invested in Moses from the moment he was born, orchestrating him, being put in a reed basket and floating down the river and being seen and, and embraced by Pharaoh's daughter and him being raised as an Egyptian. God empowered Moses. And even though the ending is kind of tough to take, we are going to see that God loved Moses. God disciplined Moses. God called Moses home. And also, God replaced Moses. While Moses was alive, his life had purpose. What was his purpose? To obey God. And folks, before we get into Old Testament story and think that this is just a story about something that happened long ago, folks, our call is the same to do today. To obey God, even when it doesn't make sense. We need heroes like Moses who will stand up today. Heroes in our church. Heroes in our community. Heroes in our nation. Heroes in our world that will be obedient to the calling God has placed upon your life. And some of you are thinking, Woo, thank goodness. He's preaching to those other people because I'm not Moses. I can't lead people out of slavery. I don't have that kind of calling in my life. I'm here at church. That's my calling. Attend church, sit in the pew, read my Bibles, give my tithe, and then go home. And I'll be back next week. Is that a calling? Or is that religion? Are those actions that we do just to make us feel like that we are Christians. Folks, I want to be very clear this morning. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you claim to be a Christian, you have a calling. What is our calling? Well, our calling, Moses was called to lead God's people to the promised land. We see that in Exodus 3.10. But our calling today is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples of all men and women. It is not my opinion. You can look it up and read it for yourself. In John 28, 19, Moses had a calling to lead the Israelites. You have a calling to lead those in this world today to Jesus Christ. And when you and I don't do that, we are being disobedient. It's that black and white, folks. Let's level the playing field for everyone. Everyone leads somebody. And I've said this to you numerous times. Everyone in here, you have someone that you influence. 
So if you have influence over somebody, you are a leader. And the question is not, are we a leader? But will we lead? What keeps us from leading? I'll tell you what keeps us from leading. It's fear. Because if you get out in the front, the view's a whole lot better, isn't it? But still, you're worried about people getting you in the back. You're afraid. What if I do something wrong? For example, you're sitting with uh, one of your friends, one of your family members, and you say, where are we going to eat? And they say, I don't care, wherever you want to go. No! That's not what I asked. I want you to tell me where you want to go. I want you to lead. But does it always happen? No. So, the reason is, is that if, if you put it off on somebody else, if you don't like it, what do you get to do? Oh, I don't like that. Well, how about this restaurant? Oh, no. That gave me, that upset my stomach last week. What about this place? Oh, no. Did you hear what the paper put about them and their health rating? How about this place? No. And, and you've gone through eight or ten different places, and you end up going to the same place you go every week. <sighs> Why are we so crazy like that? It's one thing to pick a meal. It's one thing to pick where you're going out to eat. You can lead, and, and, you, can dance, and you can play that dance. It, it's funny, and it's cute, and frustrating when you do that. But folks, when it comes time for us to lead our families, to lead our friends, to lead our church, God has blessed us in recent days with some wonderful children and youth that we need to lead and to teach. And if we do not do that, we are going to be held accountable for that. We are called to lead. Well, Let's jump into the Scriptures for just a moment. The first thing we see is that God kept His Word to Moses. If God has promised you something, I'm going to tell you, you can take it to the bank because it will happen. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1-4, through 4, it says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which faces Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land. Gilead, as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, and as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, This is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. I will let you see it with your own eyes but you will not cross into it. Wow! Here it is, but you can't have it. Hmm. Let me give you an idea of what he was looking at. Archaeologists and biblical scholars believe that this is close to the point to where Moses was looking out into the promised land. And he saw these huge expanse and saying, all this is yours. Do you think that when he saw that, he thought, it's done. I've done my job. But I want to go see it. I want to be a part of it. Of course he did. Why would God, who says that he loves him, not let him go 
into the promised land. Moses saw the promised land. If nothing else, what did that view show Moses? I think it was, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I think it was, by God's grace, we got here. You know those times where you're in the woods or you're driving and you get lost but you don't want to admit it? <laughs> yeah. Until finally you see a street or a stump or some kind of thing, you get your bearings and you get back on track. Can you imagine the journey Moses took? Can you imagine the emotion Moses felt when he saw the promised land? We see in this passage that Moses can see with his own eyes the fruition of everything that he had given his life's work for. Every trial, every argument, every whining member of his family and his clan that came to him, every complaint, every high point, every low point had led him to this point. And so let, let me just stop for a second because I feel like we're in Bible school mode. Let's internalize this for a minute to ourselves. There are times in your life to where God has called you to do something and He gives you the grand view of the opportunity to say, this is what you have done. Maybe it was a family member or someone coming to Christ. Maybe it was a child in VBS coming to Christ and you had gone through, that was your worst week ever as far as time and giving your time to VBS. But that week, that one kid that was giving you all that problem, he came to know Jesus Christ. It makes it all worth it, doesn't it? It makes it all worth it when one sinner repents. But also, God reminds Moses of his covenant when he talks about, this is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you see God use these covenants, I want you to understand this, is that God's word, his covenants, his convictions, and his views do not change. There is no resolution. There is no amendment. There is no political incorrectness that can change the fact that God has promised to those who love Him eternal life. There is nothing can change the fact that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and take us to be with God again and establish a new heaven and earth. Folks, when God says He loves you, He showed it. When God said He hates sin, He gave you a way out. And when God says Jesus' soul will return again, you can bank on it. He has made covenants with that. God follows through with His discipline of Moses as well. If you look at the second half of verse 4 in Deuteronomy 34, He says, I will let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross into it. I've got a question for you to kind of Go ahead and put this to rest. That some might think God was unfair. That man, why did, why did God use Moses to get him to the promised land and then drop him? Here's the question. Would you give your life to worship a God that broke His promises? Would you worship a God that broke His promises? For example, maybe a boss. Maybe you've, ever, you've worked for a boss sometimes that is threatened punishment that never comes through. If you do this one more time, I'm going to write you up. And the write-up never comes. So what are you tempted to do? Do whatever that is again. A teacher that never checks 
homework assignments. Or a parent that never follows through with their promised discipline. Where is the respect? Where is the love? Where is the honor or leadership when someone does not deliver a promise of discipline? Some of you might have heard of Stephen Covey. He is a he was a leadership expert. He wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says effective leadership is putting first things first. Effective management is disciplining and carrying it out. We saw earlier in Moses' life that God told him to speak to the rock and the water would come out of it. But Moses got frustrated and he did what he did the first time water came out of the rock. The first time God told him, strike the rock and water will come out. This second time he says, speak to it. But Moses got frustrated. He stuck the rock. Folks, he struck the rock. He was disobedient. And because of his disobedience as a leader, and because of the disobedience of his people, that entire generation that spent 40 years whining in the desert, going around in a circle, he waited 40 years so that that generation could die off. Moses was the last of his generation. So Moses told him after he struck the rock that he would not see the promised land, and he let him in at this point, God would have been a liar. And it's tough. But I don't want to follow a God that breaks his promises. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. Amen? It's a tough lesson to learn. But God will do what he said he will do. He has promised it and he does not break his promises. We can feel bad for Moses and say that this is not repair, This is not fair. But remember, the entire first generation were counted is unfaithful in God's eyes. God cannot and will not honor unfaithfulness. We sang about it a few minutes ago. Holy, holy, holy. His holiness will not allow himself to change his mind and to allow sin. I am sure that as God saw that, that he was doing this because he loved Moses. Because if he would have not disciplined Moses, the entire generations to follow could have said, God didn't follow through with what he said he was going to do. And God does not do that. If we disobey God's word, understand this, if we disobey God's word, there will be consequences. The problem is, is when we disobey God, if, we're not, if we don't have our hands smacked right then, we say, woo-hoo-hoo, dodge the bullet. Yeah. I did that little sin and there was, there was no repercussions. I'm good. Folks, the discipline doesn't always come immediately. Moses' took 40 years. We will be disciplined for our sin. God has not changed since Moses, and he hasn't changed today. We all want to clothe God as this, this heavenly, grandfatherly looking figure with a big, fluffy Santa Claus beard and, you know, all these angels and light around him and clouds. He is so much more than that. We want to say, oh, God is love. You can do whatever you want and he will love you. He does love you. And he loved Moses. But he still disciplined him. The second thing we see is that many could not understand Moses' death. 
It says in verses 5 through 8, So Moses the servant of the Lord died in the land of Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, facing Beth Peor, and no one to this day knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. I guess he could have got his senior coffee, couldn't he? His eyes, this is cool, his eyes were not weak, and his vitality had not left them. The Israelites went for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. I want you to understand something. Moses was 120 years old. He still had his vitality and he died. What does that mean to you and to me today? Moses did not die of old age. Moses did not die because he was worn out. Moses didn't die because he retired and stayed in his recliner until he passed away and took his last breath. That is not why Moses died. In the prime of Moses' life, at the moment when he was about to enter the promised land, he died. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because God was finished with him. And so what does that mean to you? And what does that mean to me? I don't ever want to hear any of you in here say, I'm too old to do something. Moses was 120. (laughs) I'm not Moses. Okay, fine. So are you saying that God's not powerful enough to do whatever He's called you to do, no matter what your age is? I hit the streets of Homeland Park community yesterday with people that are 20 and 30 years older than me. Walking the streets, huffing it, handing out flyers. Don't tell me you're too old. Some of you have raised children and done a great job of it. They are your crowns and your jewels. And although they're not here, they're in other churches, and they're, they're very successful. And so you think, I've been there, I've done that, I'm done with that. Are you really? Because God said you're done with that? Moses, in the prime of his life, died because God was finished with him. That sounds pretty rough, doesn't it? But I want you to understand something as we continue to read you ever heard of the show Walking Dead? I know my brother back there has. We've heard of Walking Dead. Yeah, kids are like, oh, I know what Walking Dead is. The Walking Dead are zombies. And I've, I've, honestly, I've never seen the show, but I know, understand the premise. When I was growing up as a teenager, zombie movies were pretty big. But a zombie basically is someone who is dead that comes back to life with the evil spirit with inside of them, and they like eat brains and all that kind of stuff like that. Pretty, pretty gross. Their bodies are dead but their spirits are alive. And it's not a godly spirit, it's an evil spirit. Now, if I could, if you, I know some of you are like, preacher, you're just too young, I don't get that illustration. I'll tell you this much, there are a lot of people that are spiritual zombies. They're spiritual zombies. What does that mean? Unlike Moses, too many Christians have died today spiritually but their bodies are continuing to go through the motions. 
There are people that are in churches today. There are people in pews. And it might be one of you in here that would say, I'm here in body, but as far as my spirit and where I am with the Lord, I'm dead. I haven't felt close to the Lord in years. The third thing we see is that Moses' legacy lives on in Joshua. I've got to make this clear. Though God was punishing Moses, though God, he followed through. Listen, God does not change. I, I can't stress that enough because God had to play by his own rules so much to the point that he had to send his own son to die for your sins. That's the kind of God that plays by his own rules. And we see here with Moses, he did the same thing. Verses 9 through 12, he says, Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, who knew the Lord face to face. Verse 11, he was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to his, all his land, for all the mighty acts, power, and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. I want you to see something. Moses had to die because he was the last of that unfaithful generation. Because if Moses would have still been in place, Joshua, Joshua would have never risen up to be the leader to take them where they needed to be. And make no mistake about it, when you read this passage, Moses was esteemed, he was loved, he was honored, and everything that he did mattered. It made a difference. We have had leaders in this church, lay leaders. We have had pastors. We have had folks that have come through these walls, and God has used them in a mighty way. Only so somebody like myself can come in and continue to do what God has called him to do. And one day, when I'm in the ground, there will be somebody else to come behind me. God works. God moves. God loves Moses. God loves you. Joshua replaced Moses. And what was the one thing that he had going for him? It says in that passage that he had the spirit of wisdom. In other words, God's favor was upon him. All the training in the world would not be enough without his being filled with God's Spirit. So folks, as you're looking for your next step, if you're looking for God to show you where to go in your calling and what you need to do in your life, he may not give you all of the steps that you need to take to get to where he's calling you. But I promise you this, he'll give you the next one. He won't give you all the steps, but he'll give you the next one. The Israelites followed Joshua because they had observed him and saw God working through him. When it was apparent to the people that Joshua was filled with the Lord, they followed. Folks, when your life gives fruit to others that you are a Christian, people will follow you. You don't have to fight about doctrine. You don't have to, to make your case on Facebook or at the, the beauty parlor about what you think about social topics. You can love God, love others. People will see that and they will follow you. 
Why did you come to Christ? Because someone invited you to church. Someone showed you there was a different way. And you said, I want some of that. That was a leader that God placed in your life. And He's calling you to do the same things. Joshua's power and leadership came from God alone. Joshua was a new leader for a new generation. And we see that Moses was honored by God. Think about this. God used Moses not only to show the Egyptians the power of the one true God. God used Moses to show the Israelites the power of the one true God. If I could go back to any biblical account in Scripture, I think the one place, well, there's two places. Number one, of course, I would want to go there and see when Jesus rose. I would love to do that. That would have been amazing to see that. But the second miracle I would love to have seen is the parting of the Red Sea. And Moses led them through that. So in closing, God does. God used Moses in a mighty way to lead his people. Folks, God calls you to do the same. God loved Moses enough to discipline him for his sin. God does the same with us. And God continually raises others to lead his people. And he can do the same for you. Fathers can lead their children, whose children then lead their children. The same for mothers. For some in here, we have generations of families that are sitting in these pews this morning because a father led or a mother led their family in the way of the Lord and they did the same thing with their family and on and on. Pastors, teachers, leaders, all of us have someone that we can lead today. Many of you are in here today because of a teacher, a pastor, a leader, a family member. Let me ask you something. Is God calling you to be a leader today? Because as we learn from Moses, if you still got breath, God's still got plans for you. We need to live a life on mission. What does a life on mission mean? It means this. Living life on mission for God should not be driven out of guilty obligation, but rather out of embracing the identity and purpose given to us in Jesus Christ. God has called you to be a missionary to this world today, to go and make disciples of all men. If you're not doing that, doesn't mean you have to preach like I preach. doesn't mean you have to teach a Sunday school class, but if you want to, you can. God may very well, some of these young kids in here, you never know. I was sitting in a pew just like them. And I thought, me a preacher? <laughs> yeah, right. And everybody else probably thought the same thing too. You have no idea what God can do. But I know this. If you're not obedient, He can't use you. He won't use you. Learn from Moses in his life and in his death. God is unchanging. God is powerful. And we have a calling. Until we take our last breath, we are to fulfill it. Amen? Let's pray. God, if there's someone here today, it doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord. And they would say, when you were talking earlier about being spiritually dry and not feeling like a Christian and, and not really knowing what it means to be a Christian, maybe someone in here has backslidden. 
And they want to grow closer to you again. Lord, may you convict their hearts. If someone doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord, they would pray to receive you this morning. Maybe there's someone that needs prayer or they'd like to join the church or just pray at the altar. Lord, whatever the decision may be, may they come forward at this time. And people will think, well, I don't want to get out in front of people. But I can guarantee you, if you walk out down the aisle today, there will be a bunch of people behind you that are praying for you, that will love you and support you. I've never met a church like this that is filled with so many people that want to help others grow in their walk with Christ. So if you'd like to come, may you come. Would you please stand?